Hey guys, Seth here on Modern Da Vinci again. This is our third podcast on getting better results from your negotiations. First one was about focusing on interests and not positions. The second one about having a plan B to make sure that you know that you're getting the best result from your negotiation. This one is on how to create new possibilities to get better results. What happens in negotiations is this. There's a lot of pressure. It's a high pressure situation. It could be something as simple as a home purchase where there's high pressure because you need a place to live, or it could be a very complex business deal where there's time involved, there's a lot of stakeholders, there's differing interests, strong emotions come into play. When that happens, the pressure builds. And as the pressure builds, we tend to get kind of stumped in our thinking. Instead of being able to think broadly and creatively, our thinking is constrained because we feel that pressure. And when we're in that situation, we often make a couple of mistakes. One is to start becoming judgmental and critical. So any ideas that may come up as part of a negotiation, we just automatically shoot them down without really listening. Another mistake we make is to hone in on a solution that we think, from our perspective, is the right one, and to really hyper-focus in on one narrow solution. And that may end up with you getting stuck with the other party. And so what happens is, in those modes, we ignore opportunities to come up with new options that have never been considered before. And that, in turn, means that we're going to have a hard time getting a good result from this negotiation. So there's a simple strategy that's drawn from the principled negotiation method. And the whole idea is to try to separate inventing from deciding. And the reason you want to do that is because the key to wise decision making lies in having a great number of options to choose from and a wide variety. Separating inventing from deciding means before I lock into any one decision or approach in the negotiation. I am going to be open to brainstorming a huge number of solutions, ones that maybe nobody's ever considered before, and I'm going to do it with no judgment and a completely open mind. And I might even choose to do it with the other party that I'm negotiating with. Doing that may unlock new possibilities that will give us a breakthrough in the negotiation. So in some ways, this is just a discipline that says, hey, before I get stuck on one area of negotiation or a particular idea or solution, I'm going to be willing to take a step back and think a little bit more broadly. So it sounds really simple, maybe even oversimplistic, but an example can really bring home how powerful this is. I'm taking this example from an actual case study that's developed by the Harvard Program on Negotiation, and I've used this in a classroom setting. And it really does illustrate, one, the tendency to get locked into a narrow area of negotiation and a narrow solution, but it also demonstrates the power of how brainstorming and being willing to work on the inventing side can come up, uh, can result in some really neat ideas that otherwise the negotiating parties never would have reached. So this simulation is called Sally Soprano. I'm going to give you a little back setting. And then I'll give you uh, some examples of how inventing helps them achieve new options. There's two parties in this negotiation. 
One is an opera house. They're about to stage a very large and absolutely critical production for them. The other party is named Sally, and she is a once prominent uh, opera singer uh, who is on the downside of her career. She was uh, famous, um, but her, her roles have been somewhat diminished, and she's not working as much, and she's kind of seen as, uh, you know, in the sunset phase of her career. Now, the Opera House finds itself in a very difficult situation. They have this important production, and yet their lead has fallen ill. And so with not a lot of time and not a lot of options, they need to come up with a replacement. And then you've got Sally. She's available, and she actually has a history playing a feature role in this very same production that the Opera House is putting on. And she has a very strong interest in reinvigorating her career. She's decided that she wants to make a comeback. So there's a clear opportunity for partnership there. But in this case study, a lot of the data and a lot of the discussion is based on financial compensation. And on one hand, you have the Opera House, who's limited in what it can pay Sally. And on the other hand, you've got Sally, who has expectations on how she should be compensated. And that's based on her reputation, her history, what she's been paid in the past, things like that. Now, pressure is mounting on both parties. The clock is ticking on the Opera House. They need to make a decision very soon. Otherwise, they risk this entire production going down. There's pressure on Sally because she really, as part of her comeback strategy, this is a huge opportunity for her. And yet, because that pressure is mounting, it would be very, very easy for both parties to get involved in a positional negotiation focused on the financial compensation. So they could basically bicker back and forth on what the Opera House is willing to pay Sally. And of course, Sally, you know, staying firm in what she expects to be paid. And when that happens, uh, just like we talked about in uh, interest versus positions, they take strong positions, the positions become tied to their egos, and they end up going through a back and forth that's very inefficient and likely results in a pretty mediocre deal that potentially would leave both of them unsatisfied. So what I've seen uh, by presenting these two roles to participants in a classroom setting, and because there is a lot of data in there based on salary, some of the participants will get hung up on it, they will look past the underlying interests, and they will haggle over just the salary. And when you ask them to debrief, they may, they may find a midpoint salary, but again, that's the, basically the entire scope of the agreement. You know, here's what we agreed to pay, and that's that. Some of the other participants who are thinking a little more broadly and who are willing to be disciplined in saying, hey, before we just say this is all about salary, let's open up a discussion on what other ideas might be out there. They come up with all sorts of neat things. So, you know, exploring further, the Opera House has interests. They need good sales. They need this production to be successful. Sally, she really wants to boost her reputation. She wants to create a legacy. And when we look at it from that perspective, we brainstorm. And the ideas that go beyond just financial compensation are really interesting. So here's just some examples that come from the case study 
uh, and that I've heard from some of the participants that I've worked with. One is the idea of, in addition to maybe some base compensation, sharing a percentage of the ticket sales. And that's really important because in this case, it spreads the risk among the parties. It's beneficial for the Opera House because they need this to be a successful production. And at the same time, by sharing the gate sales, if it's not as successful as they want it to be, they may not have to compensate Sally as much. And on the other hand, Sally gets the opportunity. And if it's a big hit like she thinks she can help make it be, she stands to benefit. Another really neat option is the idea of coming up with an advertising plan with a budget that features Sally prominently. So that's good for the Opera House, and it's something that they maybe were planning to do anyway, but by bringing Sally into the fold, it speaks to Sally's need for boosting her reputation. A third option is the Opera House, maybe if they can't afford to pay her as much, could do something that may have relatively low cost, like really giving Sally the superstar treatment during uh, the production. Maybe renting her a limo to, so that she can show up, uh, you know, and uh, looking good for the production. It may mean uh, just something simple like putting a big star on her door, stocking her room with, you know, snacks and foods that she likes just to make her feel special. So that's a potentially low cost area of negotiation for the opera house, but it's of high value to Sally. Another option that comes up is recording the performance and selling those recordings and sharing revenue. And then there's many, many more, but one final one is the idea that the Opera House could uh, establish an academy named after Sally to treat, uh, to train upcoming sopranos in the future. And that would appeal both to the Opera House's desire to promote itself and opera in general, and Sally's desire again to establish herself and to cement her legacy in the industry. So, in summary, in this example, we easily could have focused in on nothing but compensation and haggled to a price that may or may not have worked. By brainstorming, we came up with at least five options that could either complement or enhance what could be discussed in the area of just financial compensation. And some of those shared risk and some of those spoke to the interests of both of the parties. So what I suggest you do is when you feel the pressure of a negotiation rising, acknowledge that and then take a step back. Tell yourself it's time to focus on inventing. Commit to brainstorming as many ideas as you can. Do it without judgment. Throw them all out there. Get help from others who can give you insight, maybe experts who have perspective uh, might be able to give you ideas on things that have been successful in the past. Throw them up there without judgment before you try to lock into any one strategy or approach. And again, consider doing this in partnership with the other side that you're negotiating with. That may not always be feasible, but it really can yield breakthrough ideas and get you through what otherwise might be a stalemate. So I hope you find this helpful. Uh, we're going to keep this series going. In the next post, we're going to talk about how important it is to focus on people in a negotiation and reframe how you look at the other side and discuss why it's important to sustain and improve relationships as part of negotiations. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.